We're going to Calvary this morning. We're going to the cross. And of course there is a multitude of meaning there at Mount Calvary. There is great significance, much to be told that occurs on that day. We're going to look in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23, where we see a number of different events that after Jesus has been condemned by Pontius Pilate, according to the, to the screams, the yells of the crowd, that they take Jesus away to be crucified and they encounter a man named Simon of Cyrene. And that he is the one that takes Jesus' cross and bears it to Calvary. We learn that there are two criminals that will likewise be crucified with Jesus. One on his right, one on his left. We hear Jesus on the cross say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see the soldiers at the foot of the cross casting lots in order to divide his garments among themselves, fulfilling the prophecy that these things would come to pass. We hear the soldiers and the people around the cross mocking Jesus. This is the king of the Jews, or saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. And there's a sign that Pilate has had placed on the top of the cross that says, the king of the Jews. What irony. We read that the sun's light failed. And there was darkness across the land for three hours. We learned that the curtain, the veil of the temple, the curtain that separates the outer court from the Holy of Holies and the temple there in Jerusalem, the veil was torn in two. We read that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. I intentionally have not posted any response questions on the screen this morning. Haven't I? Okay. <laughs> yes. And I did so intentionally because I'm not really interested in you learning anything this morning. I really want to, excuse me, speak to your heart. We'll have response questions. Won't be anything that you would have to have learned through the preaching this morning. There'll be questions of the heart. There'll be questions of faith. For I'm going to focus in on just two short verses from Luke 23. 
I want to focus in on one event from this, this agenda of happenings there on Calvary when Jesus is crucified. I want to focus in on, on one event where, where words really matter. We use a lot of words, some of us more than others. We use a lot of words that we waste. We use words just to make noise sometimes. We use words that really don't matter. Words of no consequence. But one thing we see about Jesus is that his words always matter. His words always have consequence as he speaks concisely with purpose. Luke chapter 23 beginning at verse 42. One of the criminals that is now on the cross one of the criminals says in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This criminal justly convicted of his crimes and sentenced to an appropriate sentence, now nailed to a cross, makes an appeal. Makes an appeal, not a demand, but an appeal. Spoken humbly, respectfully, prayerfully. He asks, remember me. When we have parted, when you have yet many important things on your mind, won't you call to mind me? Me. You see, that's, that's an important word to just about all of us. We have a lot of regard for me. And this criminal, he speaks to Jesus of himself personally. He's not concerned about the fate of the world, not about the nation. Doesn't implore for Jerusalem not interested in all of the people in the crowd around them. He asked Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a lot more to this guy than just your standard street pickpocket. He has encountered Jesus. He has heard Jesus teaching in the temple. 
He knows who Jesus is. And he has, he has knowledge of what Jesus has taught, what Jesus has said. And he has expectations of the fulfillment of what Jesus has prophesied. Think back on that sentence. Because that is faith. That is faith. Faith of the hearing, the knowledge, and the expectation of the fulfillment of what has been said. This criminal, this man dying on the cross, is a man of faith. He is a man of of great faith. Now, he didn't make it into Hebrews 11. But this man of great faith, he most certainly made it into Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with confidence the race that is set before us. This criminal sets before us an example of faith, an example of confident assurance, an example of believing what he had heard Jesus say. And you might well respond, well, what choice did he have? He's going to die. Might as well, you know, take a shot. And there are certainly people that that's their attitude toward their response and what they know about Jesus. But this is a man of faith. And we know that because Jesus answers. And Jesus answers this criminal. This man who is, is being punished for his sins against mankind by mankind taking his life. And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth. Just, let's don't pass by that too quickly. For what Jesus says, he says to him, and Jesus says to all the saints of the ages, I tell you the truth. Remember Jesus had said, I am the truth. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, first of all, Jesus speaks of a condition. And the condition is today. This is today. This is what's going to happen today. This is what's going to happen right now. This is not something that's going to be held off until tomorrow or in the next year or the next decade or the next century or 2,000 years later. But rather Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today 
No time lapse, no condition, conditional interceding, but rather in the immediate now, you will be with me in paradise. No purgatory, no grave, no soul sleep, no standing in line at the pearly gates. Makes for a great joke, but it ain't true. And this is the condition under which Jesus grants this man's request. A promise that is fulfilled immediately and continuously. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And so Jesus speaks of him not just of a place, but Jesus speaks to him of a companion. And oh, brothers and sisters, treasure this statement in your hearts. For Jesus says, today you will be with me. I've always liked the, the understanding that, that the kingdom of God is where Jesus is. I've always liked the understanding of Mark, Mark 1.15 where Jesus <clears throat> says to the, the people around him, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we understand when, when Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is saying to them, here I am. Here I am. The presence of God. And the, and the place of the kingdom is where the king is. And who is that king? Jesus. And so it is that Jesus speaks the truth to this criminal, this sinner. He speaks the truth to him that today they will be together. The criminal, the sinner, will be with him. And you remember that this is not the first time that Jesus has set forth this probability, this prophecy, this promise. We remember in John chapter 14, it's recorded, Jesus says to his disciples on the night before he would be taken to be crucified, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Those of us who are a little older, we know that that says many mansions. But don't let's start any arguments. The important part is, Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. Do you know the rest of it? That where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah. Amen. 
There it is. Jesus said, today you will be with me. I go to prepare a place for you. I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, where I am, where Jesus is, where the Son of God is, where the King of kings and Lord of lords is, that you will be with me. What a glorious promise. What a glorious promise that Jesus makes to this sinner on the cross on that day. To be with Jesus and to worship Him. To worship God for all of eternity. Hebrews 12 again. But you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Isn't that a great phrase? I'm going to read it again. To innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Today, Jesus said, today I tell you the truth. You can, you can trust this. You can believe this. You can, you can live by this word. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. The condition is today. The companion is Christ. The concept is paradise. Typically, in a secular use, you think of a paradise as a beautiful garden, a park, a place of, of unspoiled natural beauty. In Scripture, we have innumerable synonyms for paradise. Where is this? Well, certainly it is the place called heaven. And this is what has been preached to the saints throughout the ages. The children of God love to hear about heaven. At least they always have. I think there is a dearth of preaching about heaven. I stand before you day today to correct some of that. But I think in years past, there was a lot more preaching about heaven. And I think the reason for that was that this life here on earth for most was not heaven. We learned last Wednesday night church history. Church history is going to be interesting this, uh, this time around. Uh, 6.30 on Wednesday night, by the way, we have uh, uh, Robert Godfrey. Got it right. Yes, okay. Robert Godfrey doing the lectures and follow-up with conversation and response. 
where was I? Yeah, that, uh, that most people prior to the Industrial Revolution, whatever situation you were born into, that was the situation you were going to live out your life. So there was the phrase upward mobility didn't even exist until here within the last uh, 30 years or so. And so it was that the idea of something better, something, something more glorious, was looked for in the next life, in heaven. Because this sure wasn't heaven around here. And I think in this age, we have invented the phrase upward mobility because that's what so many live for. We do not expect to remain wherever we were born, but we expect our life to be ever improving. And so we, we stash away our money toward that day when we can retire. Don't get me wrong. I got nothing against retirement. But we're told that people in this, uh, that in this, this you know, contemporary society are retiring at an earlier and earlier age. Many people retiring, leaving the active workforce in their 50s. Good for them. Hope they catch a lot of fish. But I think it's, it's very important for God's people to recognize that in this world, it never really gets better. This is a world of sin. This is a corrupt world. This is a world that is rotting away. And our hope is to be with Jesus in paradise. Heaven, also called the promised land. If you've read uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know that uh, Christian is looking forward to the promised land. This is God's promise to his people of, of an eternal home the promised land, a land that is full of plenty, Canaan land, a, pla a place of peace and plenty, Beulah land, the home for the bride of Christ, Zion, the presence of God, the city of God, glory land, eternal life, the kingdom of heaven. And it is so, so very precious, so very wonderful, so beautiful that the, the criminal asked Jesus, today remember me when you come into your kingdom, your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Your kingdom 
paradise. One in the same place. The presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I spent uh, quite a number of years as a hospice chaplain. I make no apology for that. I, uh, I served the Lord and his people through those years. And I saw a good number of people pass from this life. I attended people on what has been characterized as their deathbed. And be assured that attending the bedside of a friend of Jesus, attending the bedside of a Christian, a saint, one who knows Jesus as his Lord and Savior, to attend that person at the time of their death is to experience one who is ready. One who is ready for a joyful journey to a glad reunion with the most precious and dearest of friends. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The criminal, the criminal knew himself to be a sinner. The criminal knew that he had no hope. The criminal knew he could not save himself. Yeah, he was desperate. And he makes his appeal to Jesus. And when he had made his appeal to Jesus, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus did all the rest. It was done because Jesus said so. Jesus was on that cross for a reason. Jesus was dying for sin, but not like the criminal, not for his own sin, but Jesus was dying for the sins of that criminal. And Jesus was dying so that that criminal might live. Jesus was dying for sinners like that criminal and like me and like you. There was great love that day. And Jesus communicated great love in those words. Today, with me, in paradise. And this is Jesus' answer to every sinner 
This is Jesus' promise. This is the true words of the Son of God to every sinner who cries out to him. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, for these words, we praise you and give you thanks for the hope that they instill in the hearts of your people, those who trust and believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name, amen.